It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. It is Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast. You may recognize me as the voice in the open. Yes, sir. I am Ken Lavica. <laughs> Josh is gone. Josh is sick. He's Under not the in weather. today. So, hey, next man up. That's what we're this doing here. This is the here. theme of this show. Absolutely. Is next man up. But who cares about me? I'm not the guy with the name on the podcast or the book, Confessions of a Serial Salesman, 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders. That man is Steve Noodleberg. Thank Good you, to see you, buddy. Friend. Thanks for stepping in. My pleasure. I'm super excited about our guest, Mr. Ron Hale. Great to be here today. Flew in from Dallas, and boy, are his arms tired. Oh, there we go. <laughs> couldn't, 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 there couldn't. we go. Um, dad humor. <laughs> um, great friend, a great business partner, um, chock full of stuff to talk about today. Yeah. Like, how are we going to get it in, right, in, right. In, in, in the 30 minutes? And special guest on top of that. Is Dr. Toronto. There he is. Charlie the T. Famous Char- or infamous. And Charlie, Charlie do we Toronto. remember what uh, what episode number Charlie was featured 54? on the podcast? 54? 54. That, that, Chuck Howley. Knowing me, I put together all the uh, show sheets. That was definitely the Brian Urlacher uh, oh, episode. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that was. That, that, is, was it, that right. unequivocally is what that was. So, Ron Hale, regional VP at Dex Imaging. Dex mm-hmm. Imaging. Uh, a staple down here in South Florida where we record this podcast in West Palm Beach, Florida. And, Ron, thank you for uh, for being a part of this. And I know uh, uh, when Steve Nudelberg calls, he's like, yeah, all right, fine, fine. I know you've got this wild idea, fine, but you're here. You're here part of the podcast. It's great to see you, buddy. Um, there's great to be here. You know what's what's really cool about this show, the value proposition is, is that I want to offer information to sales and sales professionals that they can take away. Sure. And it's not only my voice. So when I meet somebody like Ron, who I'm going to sit up, so shut up and let him do his thing, but when I meet somebody like Ron, who has a background in the Marines, right, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion and brings all of that discipline and all of that knowledge and all of that experience into the sales arena, it don't get much better from that. <laughs> no, well, you Thank you, Steve. I mean, you mentioned discipline. And so when I think Marine, that is always the first word that comes to my yeah, mind is sure. discipline. And you have to have discipline or you're not going to make it. You're not going to get through training. You're not going to be able, when you're put into dangerous situations, to be able to function. So, uh, you know, we, we have this show she presented to us in some bullet points. Shay mm-hmm. puts them together for us. And I see the three pillars of life. And mm-hmm. so let's let's just discuss for a moment, if we could, Ron, how you transitioned from the Marines and your role at Dax Imaging. And when you determined, hey, you know, I need this basis to be mm-hmm. able to be a functioning, serviceable human being and mm-hmm. professional. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Sometimes I wake up and go, how did I get here? I'm sure. Uh, you know, and then I look back and, and kind of revisit all the experiences that I've had. And, uh, you know, in my family, I come from a family of Marines. My dad was a, a wartime Marine fought in Korea under the famous General Chesty Puller. And uh, wow. so I, I've got two brothers. And so we were raised with a certain degree of Marine Corps discipline yeah. in our family. In fact, uh, I remember as a child 
every night when we would say our prayers before we go to bed, we'd have to say, you know, God bless Grandma and Grandpa and Mom and Dad, and God bless Chesty Puller wherever he is. No kidding. Yeah, wow. and, and my dad was one of those guys that literally every time he heard the Marine Corps hymn, he would go join the reserves. Wow. So he was a he huh. was a real patriot, and uh, uh, and he was a, a Marine through and through for sure. So it, it became in our family we didn't have. Um, we didn't have a lot of financial resources, and so college was never really in the offing for us. So as a boy, and neither was living at home after your 18th birthday. Right, there was none uh, of that. that, that was, was, yeah. A lot of parents yeah. threaten it and yeah. joke about it. That was the reality. Oh, yeah, that was the reality. We, yeah. knew, we knew leading up to it that it's like, okay, we've got to figure something out. <laughs> and uh, so it became kind of a rite of passage in our family that uh, if you wanted to prove to Dad that you were a real man, then you went, to, went in the Marine Corps and survived Marine Corps boot oh, camp. and uh, boy. You Think know, about when you were 18. Yeah. <laughs> my God. Like it, it, I, it got to a point where my parents were like, well, if you're going to live here, you have to pay rent. And I thought that was the most outrageous thing ever. Like, Ron, as soon as he turned 18, he's out of the house. See oh, yeah. 18th yeah. birthday. I was, uh, I think, the day after left for boot camp. That's so. incredible. So what you find is that success leaves clues. I talk about that in all of my uh, teachings, all of my coachings. What, what did it specifically teach you that you transferred into? Because obviously we, we use the word discipline, but there's so many life lessons, yeah. camaraderie, all, yeah. all of those things. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of takeaways from uh, the experience in the Marine Corps and the things that they teach you and that they ingrain in you. Uh, I think the, the one thing, though, that, that has always stood out to me, and I've always recognized it ever since, since I served, was that you learn very quickly that you are capable of much, much more than your mind allows you to believe. So if you could, wow. that, give an example of that if you could. Well, uh, yeah, I will, and it's called boot camp. Um, <laughs> but uh, you get in there as an, as an 18-year-old kid, and you immediately within an hour are thinking, oh, my God, what, what, what have I done? Yeah. Uh, how do I get out of here? Yeah. And, and you realize there is no way out of here. Wow. You're, you're going to go through this now. And, uh, and some of the things that you're required to do just physically, forget about the mental and emotional challenges that it presents, but physically is the easiest way, I guess, to, to understand it, that you, you're, look, you're faced with it and you're thinking there is no way. There's no way I can do this. And then yet somehow with the proper motivation, you do it. And, and you do that over and over and over. And that's how they build Marines is by the time you come out of boot camp, you realize that, you know what reality is? There is nothing that you can't do. Wow. If you're properly trained and properly motivated and committed to it, you can do it. Now, and, uh, this, and I think that's, that's you know, uh, served me well in a lot of incredible life. Yeah. And I think that that's important to, to, to focus on that because, as Steve knows, I am the play-by-play voice of Florida Atlantic football and basketball. And so coaches, any coach from the football side and even on basketball side that I've talked to over the last 12 years is, mm-hmm. hey, I want to see how guys respond when things get uncomfortable right and that word is used an awful lot in the in the sports arena but it Mm -hmm. also sounds like that spans the marines it spans business it spans life is there something to be said for for being able to function at your best when you're uncomfortable absolutely is and i think that you know when we talked about jujitsu we talk about the marine corps and those are two things that that certainly have influenced me a lot and before jujitsu was wrestling so kind of a similar thing that to be successful, you have to learn to embrace discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, and most people avoid discomfort. Totally. And, and I think in the business world, 
we especially see younger people coming up and they, they have grand visions, they have dreams, they have aspirations, things they want to accomplish, but they, at the first sign of, dis, or the first experience of discomfort, they flee from that. Uh, look, and, it's and, not and, an easy <clears throat> thing to get used to right because it it goes against the grain but people want immediate gratification they're not willing to and it's not sustain there. that that's why that, that level of activity of being uncomfortable to get what they want so certainly when someone else is pushing you to do it it becomes even harder well and i think if you look at, at people that have achieved greatness in any regard you look at the the great football players for example just because that's a that's an easy one the the jerry rices of the world the michael Irvins, the guys that i knew mm-hmm. you know that i followed growing up and it was always those guys that you would hear the teammates say, you know, first first ones to practice, last ones to leave, out on the field when everybody else was gone, running routes, do, you know, doing the things that other people just don't, didn't naturally do because they weren't in it just to, just to be in it. They were in it to be great at it. And, and I think that's really the big challenge in, in sales. A lot of people can get in and be mediocre. Correct. And, and oddly to me, a lot of people are satisfied with that. They don't have to put forth. They don't have to put forth that much effort, right? And they're, you know, they can survive and hang on. But I've always been of the mindset that if I'm going to do something, I want to see if I can achieve greatness at it. And I know that to do that requires sacrifice. You want to push the envelope yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and and to get there, you're going to have to suffer. You know, the interesting <clears throat> thing about as we talk about it as it relates to sales, is that the uncomfort level, the uh, the discomfort is never ending right the higher up the more you want the more discomfort you have to deal with that becomes harder and harder mentally to just say well i'm sort of i climbed halfway up the mountain this is pretty good i can got a good view here because when you go up further it gets harder the terrain Mm -hmm. is more steep the weather's harder you know so i think that part is such a mental gymnastics where you're going this is supposed to get easier at some point, right. and it never does. But you know what? You, you really do. The, the greats in any walk of life, I mean, if you talk to them, you learn to embrace that, though. You learn to embrace that discomfort because you know right. you know what's on the other side of it, and it's, and it's worth it. It's rewarding. It's wor- it, yeah, it's rewarding. Yeah. You know you're doing something that other people are not willing to do, and so that gives you an even better chance Unbelievable. Of, of accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. And that goes through every salesperson's mind at some point. Like, when is this <clears> going <throat> to end? When, when is it like, okay, for me to just go, I'm on autopilot. The minute you do that, someone eats your lunch. Well, I mean, even in the Marine Corps, there, there was a saying that we used, I mean, it was just a, a staple that we would look at each other and go, you got to love it because <laughs> why, if, you, if, if you don't love it, you're going to hate it. That's right? when you're going to so, collapse. So yeah. you might as well just embrace yeah. it. You know, just learn to love that it. That is classic. <clears throat> I love that. That's, yeah. that's you got to embrace up. the grind. Ron Hale, regional VP at Dax Imaging. And uh, I just find that whole marine mindset fascinating. And so being uncomfortable, and you talk about in sales, you got to embrace that. Mm-hmm. You want to put yourself in a spot where you keep pushing yourself because that's where the most fulfilling aspects, whether it's financial, whether mm-hmm. it's personal, that's where uh, the most endearing parts of that are going to come. So how, before we get to your three pillars of life that we discussed mm-hmm. in a couple of, uh, a couple of minutes ago, where, from what you learned in the Marines and what you embrace that mm-hmm. lifestyle, have you been able to apply successfully when it comes to sales and business? Well, I always said, say to people that, you know, and that's why I say sometimes I look up and go, how did I get here? Because I didn't have a pedigree. I didn't have 
a diploma. You created it. You know, I didn't. I didn't have any of those things as a legacy going going into adulthood or into the the professional world. But the one thing that my father taught me, that my wrestling coach taught me, that my drill instructors taught me, was how to work really hard. And so when I got out, that was really the only marketable skill that I that I knew that I had mm-hmm. that I'm willing to work hard and I'll do I'll do anything you know and uh, and I remember at that time my options were kind of limited and but construction was going really big in Dallas this would have been in the early 80s and um, and so I thought well I'll do that I mean if I can make I can make respectable money doing that you know everything's relative but at the time it seemed like $13 an hour seemed like a lot of money back wow. then. You know? So I was like, for $13 an hour, sure, I'll carry sheetrock up, upstairs and stock floors all day long. You know? Embracing I'll, the I'll, discomfort. I'll, I'll, I'll do That's that. Right. And, uh, and, and what I've discovered, though, is that it, and that hard work kind of established a baseline for me so that later on, because I, I was had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, and so I when I was in construction, I saw how the construction game worked, and I kind of figured it out with the, you know, the the general contractor and the subcontractors and the the owners and the the uh, architects, and kind of just saw how it worked and thought, hmm, I wonder if I could do that. So I started, I just started a little uh, subcontracting company in Dallas doing commercial interior finish out because I had contacts, I knew some people that were estimators that could award jobs, uh, so I leveraged those. Started a little company. Um, it took off and we started making money and that's where I learned how much I didn't know about business. Unbelievable. That, uh, yeah, I stepped on every landmine you could possibly step on, I think. And some days I thought I was rich and the next day I'd wake up broke and not know what happened overnight, you know, because I just didn't understand the the mechanics. Which is the real entrepreneurial spirit. (laughs) So I did that for a while and then, uh, then that, you know, I realized that I still had a lot to learn about that and, uh, and somebody told me that I was pretty good at sales and I should try sales. And at that time, this new technology had been introduced called a fax machine. Wow. And, my uh, God. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> I thought, a you know, and, and, I, and I knew somebody that was in that business. And so I went and interviewed. Now, you got a picture. I was 25 years old. I had long hair. I had an earring. <laughs> I didn't own a suit. I had none of the trappings of a, of a successful salesperson, but I didn't know that. In my mind, I thought I was the coolest looking guy in the office. You know, <laughs> I walked you in, probably were. And, and I remember, and I remember the first. I remember my first day in sales. First day, I pulled up in the parking lot, and there was a sales rep of the month parking space right by the front door, and there was a brand new Cadillac parked in that parking space. Now I was driving my mother's car because my truck engine had blown up <laughs> a week before I started my new job. And so I see this new Cadillac and I remember I walked in and I got introduced to everybody and I said, whose Cadillac is that? And they said, Oh, that's Susie's, you know, she's the top rep. I said, really? So I went and sought out Susie and I just wanted to talk to her, you know, and I talked to her and, and I remember walking away thinking, if she can do this, I can do, I can do this. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have that parking space. And without all the details, and we fast forward, you know, uh, five years, and I was being recruited by Dan Doyle uh, when he bought a company that uh, put him in uh, Dallas and Fort Worth and got into that. And Dan has just given me nothing but opportunity and, uh, you know, the, the hard work, the work ethic, all of those things uh, were important to him. And um, he just kept giving me opportunities. I kept rising to the occasion and uh literally the next thing you know i was sitting in a corner office with my own private bathroom and a conference table in my office and thinking how did this happen 
Did you get that Cadillac? Uh, oh well, yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> I go. didn't get I didn't get the Cadillac, but I got uh, something comparable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know, he brought up the the Doyles, and so um, back in I don't know November December, we got together. Charlie, you know, said, "Hey, you sh- you guys should know each other." We sat down, we started talking, and one of the key things that happens in any sales environment, and something that you probably don't even think about that you're good at, which you are very good at. Mm-hmm. It's just being yourself and telling stories. Right. And he winds up telling me a story about, you know, why Dex, you know, like it had nothing to do with the equipment, nothing to do with the pricing, nothing to do with the positioning in the marketplace. He says, I just want to tell you about the guys that I work with and why I'm there. Mm -hmm. And if you could share that piece of that story, if that's okay. It was such an amazing story. It, it landed in, in me and people who are following me on social media. They go, hey, what's the deal with Dex? And I go, let me tell you one story <laughs> that personal. I heard. It made it very personal to me. And so unbelievable when you take all of the other skill sets, the discipline and everything like that, it comes down to how do you tell a story? Mm. You know, And if you can tell a story really well, it's such a huge part of sales. Connects. And you do it great, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the... The key to any great story is it has to be authentic, right? Well, right. I mean, it's, it's got to... Because people can key on if you're being phony. Right. Like, it's very apparent to some people. Right. And, and I think that, you know, the, the stories you're referencing really are... I could repeat a hundred of those. Wow. Because that's part of the culture of our company. It's part of who the Doyles are and what they've, and what they've brought to this organization. And, that they, frankly, that they've mandated. I mean, it's, it's part of our corporate culture. And... Um, you know, it, 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 it's, dis, it's on display in a number of ways, one of which that I think is, is really important uh, is, is the fact that we set aside one-third of our gross profit uh, into a fund to, uh, so that we can do profit sharing for all of our non-commissioned employees. That sounds, like a, that sounds great, but then when you think about it on a human level, what that really means is all the people who don't earn a commission, they're on a fixed income, and we're a service company, so those... It, Contrary to what the sales force might believe, <laughs> uh, those are the people that yeah. you really are depending on to to carry out the the truth claims and that the all the, that right, all the salespeople have made during the sales process. Right. And so you've got service technicians and building clerks and warehouse workers and delivery drivers, people that are trying to provide for their families that are on a fixed income. And and Dan wanted to capture the the hearts and minds of those employees just like the salesperson who's having success and making a bunch of money and is loyal to the company we wanted those employees to have a have a, a stake in the game as well and so um and, and just to give you an idea in dallas i mean in, where am i now i'm in south florida <laughs> you just landed yeah i just landed just got back to dallas in south florida now we're giving out i think eight thousand dollars per employee uh in profit sharing bonuses wow and we do it in a way, and this was also Dan's design, that he didn't want it to just be a once-a-year event where this is just a windfall once a year, and that's great, and then you got 11 months of just grinding it out. He said, no, I really want every employee here to be able to experience a lifestyle, the same lifestyle that we get to enjoy in certain ways. He said, so I want, I want to give them 25% of their bonus in June every year so that he said, I want every employee of this company to know that regardless of their lot in life or the role that they play with this company, they get to take their family on vacation yeah, just like cool. we do. That's you know? pretty cool. That they're going to get a windfall. They don't have to go into debt. They don't have to take money out of their living wages. That we're going to provide that for them every year. Then we give them 25% in September. That's when the kids go back to school. They don't have to sweat that. They don't have to, again, go into debt. And then we give them 50% in December at the holidays. 
Well, when you're handing a, a, a single mother of two that's a billing clerk working on the lower end of the wage scale a $5,000 check in December to go have a holiday experience for her kids, you get to see the real meaning of that and the impact that that has on people. And I'll tell you a, a, a fact. I have had in 10 years, I came down here, started this company down here 10 years ago, uh, maybe 11 or 12 now, uh, but we have not had, to my knowledge, one case of undesired turnover because wow. I, don't, I don't have people leaving the organization because, because they know that we care about sure, it. Sure. And then the other, the other thing I think that's important for them is that we then take a third of our of our net profit and we're by directive have to give that back to the community through nonprofits in the markets that we're in. So we give 30% of our gross to the employees, 30% of our net goes to local nonprofits and it creates a culture of, of, of giving and caring and those, and, and all of the employees know that they're part of something bigger than just office image. Yeah. I've actually been at a recent event in mm -hmm. St. Pete in Tampa mm -hmm. when they gave out those checks. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, happy people, engaged people, you know, and, and you guys are growing and, and usually what happens when a company scales, they lose mm -hmm. all of that. And that has not happened in the time, especially that I've been with you guys and working it. It's only, you know, one, one of the things when a company gets acquired or they're, they're in a growth mode, people will say, well, things aren't going to change, but you know that they yeah, are. Yeah. Things have not changed. Well, and it's, it's intentional. It's it, it, and it has right. to be, or, or, or it will. But, Which uh, is another story <laughs> to tell people that, again, when the company is taking care of the community, it's taking care of its own people, why wouldn't you want to do business yeah, with them? Sure. I mean, if you have a choice of who you're going to do business with, so, you know, it's sort of self-serving to have you tell that story, but I, I was attracted to that story. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can choose to work and with anybody. And then I told you, I, I told you, I mean, then, then there are all the, all the, just the personal stories, you know, of, of employees that have suffered hardship, which, you know, happens in any organization. People have things that happen to them that they're unforeseen. And I told you about one single mom that had her house here in uh, South Florida got broken into and all of her stuff got stolen. What wasn't stolen got vandalized. Mm -hmm. We took up a collection in the office for her, raised a couple of thousand dollars. Um, I told Dan about it. The next day, a uh, 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 UPS envelope arrives with, with $10,000 for her goodness. to go buy new furniture for her. Uh, and, and that goes without any fanfare. Just, it's but just it, part it, of what we do. It just goes to we treat people well. Mm, yes. And you would hope that that would be a common human trait, but that's not, it's not always the case. And no. especially in the corporate world, no. mm -hmm. you don't see that. And so... It's unfortunate to say, but that's why those types of stories stand out yeah. because you don't you don't hear about it all that often. And uh, I think that that's a testament to the to the work you guys do. Uh, I mean, that's you're right, Steve. That's a very personal story that does draw you into Ron and to Dex Imaging. I mean, we instantly, I think, right then and there, developed a friendship. Yeah. That you know, I was like, wow, man, nobody tells stories like that. Yeah. Everybody's telling you. Me, 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 me. They're singing the opera. Made this about, sale, did this. Here's my, uh, pro, here's my, I can be cheaper than the next guy. I sure. can do this and I can do that. And there was none of that. We just had this great dialogue. As a matter of fact, I didn't even realize that we were going to do business together. Because <laughs> he was like, oh, by the way, I like you too. And let's do something together. You know, yeah. it was like so, which was so unexpected yeah. from the normal dance that people are doing. So the takeaway is that even with all the discipline, even with all of the, the, the skill sets that, that, you know, Ron brought to the table, when you meet people at Dex, there's something special about 
what they're doing, what they're talking about, you know, and what they're building. They are the fastest growing entrepreneurial, you know, copier company yeah. in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. you want to work with people who believe in what they do. And not you can talk about the brand and you mm-hmm. can talk about uh, the product, but when you believe in that company too, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron Hale, regional VP of Dax Imaging, Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast. Uh, something resonated with me when you talked earlier about your work ethic mm-hmm. and hard work. And I do think, Steve, that this is different for everybody, what their definition of hard work yeah. is. and. You know, you talked about initially when you were out of the Marines, moving sheetrock, making potentially $13 an hour. But in the sales world, it's not this physical, heavy lifting, tangible work. But for some people, it's putting in 10, 11 hours. They Mm -hmm. consider that hard work. For others, it's being as efficient as they possibly can or being as ambitious as they possibly can. For you, what's your definition of hard work? Well, you know, and it's interesting because I deal with sales managers and, and I'm, I train sales managers to train salespeople. And, you know, one of the, the challenges is that in my mind, a lot of people, and I dare say most people, don't really have a baseline when it comes to hard work. They don't they, understand. They, 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 don't really, they don't really even know what it is, you know, like what to compare it to. They think they're working hard, but in reality, it's like, no. See that guy out there that's uh, putting asphalt on the street in 110-degree yeah. weather? That's, that's hard work. You know, what you're doing getting in your air-conditioned car going to, you know, going to five appointments and right. talking, to, you know, talking to people over a bottle of ice water is, <laughs> is I, any way you measure it, that's not hard work. You know, it's but, an interesting learning that I learned from my boys in coaching. They saw young people with unbelievable talent, mm-hmm. but talent without work ethic will not win. It won't win. It's the people who have work ethic that continually get better and push themselves to get better. And that's really the bench line is, or the benchmark is, how am I getting better? Am I getting better every single day? Well, that's, that's, I think, is the role of leadership, you know, that we have to come in and we have to set those standards, that we have to set those expectations. And I heard a quote from Tom Landry that's always stuck with me that, and I grew up a big Cowboys fan, and so, uh, you know, always (laughs) idolized Tom Landry as a leader. And and there was a quote that he said to a, uh, to someone, a, a reporter that asked him one time, you know, what, what is the key to great leadership in the NFL? And he said it's real simple. Getting people to do the things they don't want to do in order to accomplish the things they want to accomplish. Wow. And, and that, I've always tried to do that with people. It's like, listen, I've got to be honest with them, and I've got to push them to do what I know it takes because I've been successful. I've done it at, at their level, and it's not easy. No. You know, you can play every game at different levels. There's, you know, maybe when you're – and the complexity grows, not only the amount of effort that's involved, but the complexity of the game. Yeah. If you're going to play it as a pro, you want to play it at the highest level. You want all the rewards that come from that. Guess what? That doesn't come without hard work. That doesn't come without sacrifice. And it also doesn't come without being a student of the game and really immersing yourself and developing the skills – that are required to play the game at that level. You know, when you're a little kid and you're playing in the backyard, everybody go long will work, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but but it, as you as you evolve, it's a little more interesting. It's like it yeah. becomes a little more complex than yeah. that. And and so I think it kind of goes both ways that there there is there are so many skills that are required to be great at this. And and I think as leaders that we do people uh, do our, our people a disservice if we're not challenging them in every one of those regards 100%. and and forcing them out of their comfort zone. I've found so you're 100 percent right. 
And I found that everybody wants the success. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to look themselves in the mirror and say, what am I willing to give up mm-hmm. to get it? Mm-hmm. And that really, that paradigm is because every successful person I know can look at what they were willing to give up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm willing to you know, dig ditches and do this to get to the next level to do this. You know, and so that mind trick is really training and, yeah. and, and support <clears throat> and having the right people around you that, that fulfill you, that are genuine, give you genuine feedback. You know, and that, you know, you guys care, all that stuff really matters. And, and it's been, you know, it's, it's also dovetails into my experience in, in jujitsu that I started training in Brazilian jujitsu at 48 years old, which is old. I mean, I was, I was the oldest guy wow. 10 years ago. I was the wow. oldest guy in the room. That's and, uh, and I so I started training. That, yeah. I started, I walked in that. at 48 years old. They thought I was in there inquiring on behalf of my son. <laughs> right. And I was like, right. no, no, it's for me. And, uh, when's little Billy going to yeah. be there? <laughs> so, but I went into it. And literally my first night, and uh, Marcos Damata will tell you this, I, I think I kind of offended him because at the end of the first night I was talking to him and I said, so how long will it take me to become a black belt? And he laughed. He said, if you train four times a week and you never take off, you can get your black belt in 10 years. I was like, 10 years? He said, yeah, that's what it takes. And, that's, and he said, that's just to get good enough that you even know what you're doing to, to become a black belt. That's where the journey begins. And... So I, at wow. that moment, I knew if I'm going to do this, I want to be a black belt, number one. Number two, I wanted to compete. And then when I started competing, I was like, I, I think I can be a world champion. I want to be a world champion. But I knew when I said those things that that was going to require mm-hmm. a, a high level of commitment, commitment. a high level of, of discipline. And I was going to have to do things that were not going to be easy to do. I'm, I'm getting ready to start my training right now for the Masters World Championships coming up in Las Vegas. And uh, I've, I've, I won the Worlds three times, once as a purple belt, twice as a brown belt. I won the Pan Ams, and I also won the uh, uh, International Masters Championship in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And you're kicking young people's ass, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. is it younger, a, younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Incredible, man. Yeah. But that so, leads me to, and I, I want to get to this, uh, your three pillars of life. Mm-hmm. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is one of them, right. and also job. And family, and right. it feels like the common bond between all of those, what keeps you grounded, what your foundation is, is commitment. All of those are right. commitments. All of the those words, are things yeah. that you you set goals to achieve, and uh, that's what you have to go back to to keep yourself grounded and successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, without that vision or without those goals, then what are we getting out of bed for every day? And that's why I think the only way, the only reason I have stayed in, in jujitsu for 11 years now and done it consistently for 11 years was the desire to be a world champion. If I didn't have that <laughs> out there, then, well, it's not like you have all this free time. Either. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, and, it's like, and I, and call it what it is. You have a yeah. full-time running a massive sales <laughs> agency. And as I start getting closer to Worlds, I have to do like two a days and three a days. It's insane. Just to be able it's to insane. do all of the different things it's, required it's like, to compete at Ron, that level. Ron, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm flying to Vegas to kick someone's ass. I'll see you Monday. <laughs> Unbelievable. It, it's I, it's know, amazing. I mean, to know the commitment it takes to be great in sales which you are, your team, you know, it mirrors that and you're constantly expanding and then have this other thing on the other side that, you know, people just don't have the time for that. The mm-hmm. commitment of time alone is amazing, man. It's really, you know. Well, I just find that, that it, it really isn't. And like I say, that same um, attitude, I guess, that goes into having a, a vision, having a goal and then 
and then saying, okay, I know, I counting the cost and saying I'm willing to do what it takes because what do they say? Everybody, willing. Everybody, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Right. Right. So, um, <laughs> want willing. You know, you, you, you got you got to be willing to do one if you're going to get the other. Yeah. And uh, and so when it comes to the business world, I just I really try to take the same approach. I try to challenge my people with with those truths and. Uh, you know, and it's amazing what, what people are capable of. And, and especially when you see them start to accomplish things that they never thought they would be, be able to do, and they see that, it, that it's really true, that's when they can start really embracing the process, embracing the grind, because they know that's, that's where the good stuff's at. You know, it's you know, interesting. That's where, that's where you are. started was that philosophy of, hey, I didn't know what I was capable of doing, mm-hmm. and yet here we are, we're winding up with, you never know what you're capable of doing, yep. and once you see that, then the, you know. That gives you the inspiration, yeah. Right, it just keeps self-feeding itself. You, you know, I wanted to be a champion, I am a champion, now what's next? It's crazy. But as long as you don't show up with a black eye. <laughs> right. It happens sometimes. Well, at least Ron knows no one's messing with him. That's the thing. Charlie, I got to say, uh, Ron was uh, was pretty fascinating. Yeah. He definitely rivals episode number 54. <laughs> he is he is fascinating. Uh, Ron, it, it, I mean, oh, I mean Steve, how do we top do, that? Right. A Marine who's a black belt in uh, Brazilian Champion. Jiu-Jitsu. Champion. A champion, a champion. Ron <laughs> Hale, regional VP at Dax Imaging. Thanks for coming by, sir. That was excellent. Thank you, guys. Yeah, oh, it's been, cool. yeah, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. All right, Steve. So we never say, how you doing? We never ask people, how you doing? We ask, them, it, we, we ask them to tell us something good, and you like to finish every podcast by telling us something good. What's good in your world, Steve Noodleberg? So when you look around this room, I have uh, the First Lady. Michelle is here. I have... Uh, Charlie Toronto, I have Ron Hale. I, ha- I am surrounded by great people who make me want to be better. So I believe in the laws of association. You are who you associate with, and I am one super blessed human being. So that's that's, my take that's a great way to uh, to wrap it up. Well, Steve, this oh, was you a- too, my brother, <laughs> and, and, and Chris Conti, uh, Philly Michael. Right, right, exactly. Uh, uh, this was a strong one, Steve. Yeah. I think uh, we should probably come back and uh, and do this I think again. It'll be a bookend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do yeah. I think uh, I think we'll I got lots more stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, for Ron Hale and Steve Noodleberg, I'm Ken Lavica. That has been Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast. Talk to you next time, everybody. Jo- Josh, who? Josh Huey. Bye, Josh. See you never.